Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week... I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. All the signs pointed to a possible murder. The beatings by her stepfather, followed by one night that was the worst beating ever. After she disappeared, there was that one spot in the yard her siblings were forbidden to go near, and they were never allowed to speak of her. After that, there were cadaver dogs that definitely hit upon something in the backyard. When a woman appeared decades later claiming to be the missing girl, no one knew what to believe. Every time you think you know what's going on, this case will have you going back and forth with what you believe. This is the case of Phoenix Mary. For this case, I almost exclusively used a 48 Hours episode by Maureen Maurer and Wikipedia. Mary Louise Day led a very sad, possibly short life. She was born on February 19, 1968 in Little Falls, New York to Charlotte and Charles Day. Mary was the oldest of three children. The couple had two younger daughters named Kathy and Sherry, and all three girls had been placed in foster homes at early ages since their mother apparently couldn't care for them. And there's really not much information out there about their early childhood. The most we know is that Charlotte eventually divorced Charles, and she remarried a man named William Hull, who was enlisted in the army. 
Around 1976, Charlotte regained custody of Mary and Kathy, but Sherry had been adopted by another family when she was about six years old. And due to William being in the Army, the family moved around quite a bit. In 1978, they landed in Hawaii. The whole family continued to grow with Charlotte giving birth to two more children, William Jr. and Billie Jean. And sadly, around this time, Mary, Kathy, and Sherry's birth father, Charles, was killed in an accident. This left his three children an inheritance, which they could only claim when they turned 18. Now remember this. This is an important fact that I'll talk about later in the story. In 1980, Children's Protective Services removed Mary from the whole home under the suspicion that William had been physically abusing her. Now, there's no mention if he was abusing any of the other children. There's only talk of Mary being the one abused. And I'm not sure why that is, maybe because she was the oldest. In all the sources I found, I never found answers to any of these questions. While Mary was in protective custody, the whole family moved to Fort Ord in Seaside, California, just north of Monterey. Obviously, this was because William was still in the Army and was being relocated. Mary was then taken out of protective custody and sent back to live with the Hools in California. She was not happy there, of course, and according to her mother, she ran away many times, until finally, one time, she never returned. According to Sherry, she came to visit the family one day, and she noticed Mary wasn't around. When she asked about her whereabouts, her sister Kathy said they were never supposed to talk about Mary. And not only that, there was that one spot in the yard the kids were never supposed to go around. Apparently, one night, most of the family went out, leaving Mary and Kathy alone in the house. The family had this dog that William was particular to. When they came home, William found the dog violently ill in the kitchen. He blamed Mary for it, saying that she had poisoned the dog. And that led to this epic beating for poor Mary. Kathy remembers seeing blood streaming from her mouth. And when the kids woke the next day, Mary was gone. Their mother told them Mary had run away in the night. And amazingly, William and Charlotte never reported Mary missing. So when Sherry became an adult, she wanted to know what happened to her big sister. Thirteen years later, in 1994, Sherry filed her own missing persons report. She recalled their mother saying that there was a lot of places in California that you could bury a body and it would never be found. This would be like finding a needle in a haystack, and it was. In fact, the real investigation didn't start until 2002. In charge of the case was Police Chief Steve Cerconi, aided by Detective Joe Bertana. Bertana describes the case as this tumble of weeds that went in all directions. The parents had never reported Mary Day missing, and there was absolutely no trace of her as an adult. No social security card, credit cards, nothing. Mary had never been enrolled in school in California. It was as if she never existed. Steve Cerconi never remembered a case where a family did not report a missing child, which led to some suspicions about what those parents knew about Mary. Plus, after Charles Day died, his three daughters got government checks to compensate for his death. 
If a parent dies in the United States, Social Security will send monthly survivor payments. And it's usually until the child is about 18 years old. Charlotte and William had cashed the Social Security checks every month without ever mentioning that Mary was gone. And this may be why they were so negligent in reporting her disappearance to get that Social Security money. The more this story goes on, the more despicable Charlotte and William Hull seem. Sherry also couldn't understand how her mother didn't report her sister missing. In March 2003, Detective Bertina went to the Hull home in California, and he was accompanied by Kathy, Mary's younger sister. Kathy was 11 when she last saw Mary. She showed the detective the area in the backyard that the kids were ordered to stay away from, specifically by her father. And that set off this sickening thought in the detective's mind. I mean, this could be where Mary would be found. To find out definitively, cadaver dogs were brought in, and the dogs each hit upon one spot near a tree. And as they started to dig, Sircone's heart sunk. They found a small girl's tennis shoe. He was convinced they would soon find a body. But to everyone's surprise, they didn't. The men in control of the cadaver dogs were also baffled. They said, our dogs don't lie. Four of the dogs independently hit on the same spot. The handler could only conclude that a body had been there and had been moved. The next step, of course, would be to interview Charlotte and William Hull. The couple were amazingly still together and living in Kansas. By this time, William had served his time in the Army and was now working as a corrections officer. Charlotte was the first one to speak with detectives. She insisted that Mary had run away. But then she would also say these cryptic things like, you know, life is full of regrets and Sometimes you do things in your past and it comes back. Charlotte said Mary frequently ran away, and on that fateful night, she just left for good. When questioned if they ever filed a police report, Charlotte first said she thought they did with the Salinas police, but then she wasn't even sure of that. She just simply replied that they should have filed a report. Things were even weirder and more ominous when Detective Bertina questioned William Hull. They went over that night when Mary disappeared. William said he noticed that she was first missing when he was checking on all the children and Mary wasn't in her bedroom. He stated they panicked, which Joe Bertina thought was odd. I mean, why would they have panicked if Mary running away was a very common occurrence? and when he pushed the man for more, he never got a good response. He then asked about this story involving the sick dog. William insisted that Mary had poisoned the dog, and when she tried to run out of the house, he grabbed her. He said Mary kicked and punched him, and then he made this gesture with his hand, and that gesture reminded Joe of this martial arts technique. It was almost like a claw. He said he used this on Mary, he asked William if he struck Mary that way, and William remembered hitting her in the chest. Joe Bertina realized that a move like that might kill a child, and he questioned how angry the man was on a scale of 1 to 10, and William replied 15. However, William insisted he didn't kill a stepdaughter. 
but his next statement seemed to contradict that. He said his wife told him she saw something in his eyes that night. He looked like he was possessed by a demon. Detective Bertano went on with that, and he said, if maybe the demon could have killed Mary, and William replied, yes, the demon could have killed her. Even though the detectives had what seemed like a confession, there wasn't enough evidence for the DA to file charges against the parents for Mary's murder. It was frustrating, but detectives knew they had to try to get more evidence. And that's when the case took a crazy turn. In November 2003, Steve Cercone got a call asking him if he was sitting down. Why? Because Mary Day had just been found alive and well in Arizona. 700 miles away, a truck with stolen plates had been pulled over at a traffic stop. The plates were run, and since Mary's information had been put into the missing persons database, it produced a hit on a driver's license that had been issued just three weeks earlier. Detective Bertina rushed to meet this woman. She had an Arizona identification card, which, like I said, had only been issued weeks earlier. And this was just one of several red flags that would strike the investigators after meeting the supposed Mary. When looking at Mary, she looked like she could definitely, possibly be this adult version of Mary Day. Mary said she kind of lived off the grid since her disappearance. And at times, she seemed not to remember a good bit of her past and was very vague with details. Joe Bertina wanted to know about that night she disappeared. Mary said she couldn't remember much other than her stepfather slamming her head into the bathtub repeatedly and then the coffee table. She then said she blacked out. But when he mentioned the supposed cause of the beating, the dog, Mary didn't recall any of that. After speaking with Mary several times, the detectives weren't sure this was Mary Day at all. In fact, they were so skeptical they started referring to her as Phoenix Mary. The Phoenix Mary was equally frustrated with the questions that were thrown at her. She questioned how they could identify her since she was alive. They told her DNA, of course. Mary replied that she'd be better off dead and then they could do all their detecting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From there, Steve Sarconi and Joe Bertina at this point were convinced that when they did this DNA test, it would prove this woman was a fake. 
There was no trail of any kind that Mary existed as an adult. I mean, think about it. You leave a trail that you exist. You have a social security card. You have income tax returns, credit cards, marriage certificates. You have debt. Phoenix Mary had none of this. And until three weeks ago, she didn't even have an ID. And they had no idea what Mary's game plan was, pretending to be this missing girl from 1981. Finally, the DNA results came back, and they were a match. Phoenix Mary was definitively the biological daughter of Charlotte Hull. The detectives were absolutely stunned. They had been convinced that she was a fake. So with this turn of events, the investigation into the possible murder of Mary Day was closed. Sherry, who had started the investigation into her missing sister, was thrilled. She invited Mary to come live with her to try to make up for some lost time. As soon as Mary did, though, Sherry started to doubt that this was her real sister. Most striking was Mary's accent, which Sherry described as a cross between Midwest and Southern. The other sisters didn't have an accent at all like this, so why did Mary... Even if she had spent some time in the South, it wouldn't have resulted in such a strong accent. There was also the fact that she had mail and magazine subscriptions in the name of Monica Devereaux. Mary simply explained it away, saying that she had this identity adopted many years ago, trying to forget her past. But probably the most glaring detail was about the girl's inheritance. So remember I mentioned that Mary, Kathy, and Sherry were given an inheritance that they could only collect when they were 18. This inheritance was very important to the girls. To them, it was their escape plan from this horrible life. In fact, they gave it a code name, Mohawk. Mary, Monica Devereaux, or whatever she was calling herself, had no idea what Mohawk was when her sisters mentioned it. This put the investigation back into action. Phoenix Mary had even written Detective Bertana this cryptic email saying that she'd been lying to him about who she was. So no one knew what to believe. Was this woman an imposter? And that's when another bombshell dropped. Steve Cerconi got a call from the police chief in Seaside, California. Remember, this is where the whole family lived when William was stationed at Fort Ord. Cadaver dogs had been brought out to Fort Ord on another unrelated case when they hit upon something at one of the old homes, specifically the old Hool home, the home they'd lived in after Mary had disappeared. In Steve Cerconi's mind, this was where they had moved the missing body. He hired a retired homicide detective named Mark Clark to look into case further. Mark Clark's first move was to consult the famous Body Farm. The Body Farm is a research facility that was brought to fruition by anthropologist William M. Bass in 1987 in Knoxville, Tennessee. His idea was to get a better understanding of the decomposition process by watching how bodies naturally decay. They used this very large property, and bodies were donated specifically for this purpose. I think in all, there are about seven body farms used in the U.S. And there are a variety of ways that the bodies are staged to gain insight into decomposition, like being placed in trunks of cars or underwater. And the work done at the body farms have been groundbreaking in the world of forensics. 
Researchers from the body farm concluded that the soil found at the whole home in Fort Ord was consistent with that of a body being buried. Mark Clark also consulted a Southern dialect coach about Phoenix Mary's odd Southern accent. He wanted to find out if it were possible that she could have obtained this accent naturally. The coach concluded that Mary would have had to have spent her formidable childhood years in the South to have an accent like that, and she did not. She simply wouldn't have gotten one in the years after her disappearance. Phoenix Mary eventually moved out of Sherry's home. By this point, Sherry wasn't sure what to believe. On the other hand, her sister Kathy was convinced that this was not their long-lost sister, and Mark Clark was sure that Phoenix Mary was a fake. He had a very compelling theory. So he believes that Charlotte Hole had a secret daughter and that this was Phoenix Mary. Apparently, Charlotte had several extramarital affairs, and he believes that Phoenix Mary was the result of one of these affairs. Clark thinks that when detectives started questioning William and Charlotte in Kansas, that they got in contact with Phoenix Mary to take the heat off of them. And that's why she suddenly appeared. Clark believes they gave this woman Mary's birth certificate to get an ID. And her motive? The inheritance. Clark thinks they gave her the money in exchange as posing for Mary. I mean, it would explain a lot of things, like the gaps in Mary's memory. Not remembering the code word for the girl's inheritance, now worth around $60,000. As wild as the theory is, it does make a lot of sense. Mary's sister, Kathy, felt in her gut that this woman was not the real Mary, but Sherry still had her doubts. And those doubts were on other people's minds, too. Acting chief of Seaside Police Department, Julie Veloz, decided that she was going to take a crack at the case in 2017. She went to see Mary, who was now dealing with late-stage cancer. Mary told the chief about a woman who Mary had stayed with in her teen years after her disappearance, named Amori Kimmel. Amori remembered the girl. She said she was naive and quiet. Mary lived with Maury and her two younger daughters, something that must have reminded her of her early life with her own sisters. The life that she had there was happy and peaceful, something she had never known with her own family. And sadly, that life only lasted for a year. From there, Mary moved around, never staying in one place for too long. When Judy Veloz spoke to Mary, a lot of questions were cleared up. First of all, the emergence of that Arizona ID. A state worker had helped Mary obtain the ID when Mary needed it for state aid for gallbladder surgery. This local nonprofit helped her track down her birth certificate. So there was nothing nefarious about the timing. Mary's health was the catalyst. As far as the gaps in Mary's memory, Judy chalks it up to drugs and alcohol. Mary had been an alcoholic since she was a teenager. So even more convincing was a photograph that was provided by Maury Kimmel. So 48 hours took the photo to a group called Trueface, which was a facial recognition company. And they compared the picture of teen Mary to that of a family photo with the whole family. And the results? A 99% probability that this was Mary Day. 
I mean, that was enough for the case to be closed. It was also enough for Sherry, who said she felt like a weight had been lifted from her shoulders. She could now believe that this was her long-lost sister. Now, Mark Clark still believes that a murder was committed that night in 1981, and he still believes that Phoenix Mary is an imposter. The case may have been closed, but there are still some lingering questions, like what were the cadaver dogs hitting upon and the two separate incidents? The handlers insisted in each case that their dogs weren't wrong. So where was the body or bodies, and who were they? William Hull obviously had a scary rage inside of him, so did he take it out on someone else? When Judy Veloz was doing her investigation, she found the child's shoe at the first dig to be odd. It was way too small. Mary was a child when she went missing, but this shoe looked like a younger child's shoe. Could William have taken his rage out on some other child and killed them? These are questions we may never have answers to, and Mary herself cannot provide any more answers. Nine days after she spoke to Judy Veloz, Mary Louise Day passed away. There was no funeral. That was the story of Phoenix Marion's absolutely heartbreaking. Honestly, I can't even say what I think in the end. Regardless, the story is sad. It's very sad when kids have to grow up in abusive homes. And if this really was Mary, she had such a sad life. And the whole case is just very bizarre. As a mother, I would go to the ends of the earth for my child. So to think of parents who don't even report their daughter missing is just incomprehensible. How I spent 10 minutes the other day looking for my kitten. And this is a mother who didn't give two shits about her own child. And that's what's disgusting is that there's people out there who can't have children. And these two monsters had several. It's just so wrong. They most certainly were guilty of abuse and possibly more. And it's a shame that they will probably never be brought to justice. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you like the podcast, check it out on social media. You can join the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. I want to welcome new members, Jesse, Amy, and Clover. You can also find the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. So thank you so much for listening and catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 